it's it's the experience is what we provide as a service, right? It's what we actually sell. Because it doesn't matter if you're on the GC side or the owner's rep or, you know, if you're like Dylan, our, my co-host, and you're on the design side. We don't set the pricing, right? We, we're not we're not setting what a building costs to build, right? The market does that. And our fees, you know, they fluctuate a couple points from the next guy, but they're all in generally in line. So at the end of the day, we're not really selling a product. We're selling the experience. Hey, what's going on, everyone? My name is Matt Graves, and welcome back to the Fiat Mentors Podcast, where we talk with industry experts to help cut your construction management curve in half. Uh, my co-host each week is Kyle Grandell. What's going on, Kyle? Hey, hey, Matt, and also welcome, Matt. <laughs> this week's guest is Matt Vetter. By day, he's the president of Schaefer Construction, uh, based out of the Detroit area, and by night, he's a co-host of the Construction Corner Podcast. Welcome, Matt. Thanks, Matt and Kyle. I'm glad to be here. I'm looking forward to this. So for those out there that don't know who you are, can you give us a, a brief background of yourself? Yeah, so I'll, I'll be real brief. I mean, I've been in construction in some form or another for the better part of 26 years now. Um, started building houses when I was in high school. Um, kind of bounced around between some different residential gigs. Um, made it to the commercial space in, in the mid, uh, right around 2008, 2009, right when everything was awesome. Um, and, and anyways, now I'm, I'm the president and, and owner of Schaefer Construction. We're a, a true design build firm. We're based in, in Brighton, Michigan, which is southeast Michigan, about an hour from Detroit. We build everything other than single-family homes. Did you, you made a switch from residential to commercial, you said, 2008, Was it an economy thing that forced you over? Yeah, so I was um, – I put myself through college – um, with the company I owned at the time, we did a lot of, I call it smaller scale residential. So decks, garages, finished basements, um, in the Michigan market, Detroit, especially, you know, the big three automakers dictate everything. And so at the time, I mean, we were doing finished basements, you know, quarter million dollar finished basements where these people would just hand me a credit card and say, rock and roll, make it awesome. And it, it was fun, right? I had full <laughs> creative latitude and, um, but you know, just before everything kind of, kind of took a, a turn sideways, those guys started drying up real fast, and mm. it was like they they almost knew what was coming. And um, so, anyways, you know, long story short, I had an opportunity. I met met some folks, uh, and the 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 option was there to make a move and start a company in the in the commercial realm, doing consulting. Really, I did like project management, estimating, supervision for hire, uh, built all around the country, and. It was just it, it plopped in my lap, man. So I, I jumped on the opportunity and, and never looked back. That's awesome. Hey Matt, how did you get into construction in the first place? That's one of my favorite questions to ask of people because myself I kinda just more or less stumbled into it. I did some work with my dad growing up and then just fell in love with it. Yeah, I mean it's people always ask that and my story's not real romantic, you know, to be honest with you, I had a a good buddy in high school who was working as a, or with a builder building houses. And he, he brought me on board and it was a, it was a crap ton of money. I mean, that to be quite <laughs> honest, that was it, right. It was, it was whatever. I don't even remember now it was, you know, 18 bucks under the table or something. And I was a 17 year old kid. I had no bills. I had no real responsibilities. So you were rich. I was, 
I, I was wealthy, man. I was I was killing it. And um, I, I don't know. I, I fell in love with the sawdust, to be honest with you. I, I still love the smell. We don't do a whole lot of wood jobs anymore, but um, I still, like, it gets me all nostalgic when I when I smell sawdust. Hey, well, the first thing I did was some framing work, and I, I, uh, I still like that to this day because I never did it professionally. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we, we did um, additions, remodels, new construction. I mean, I, I say we, for the first six months I worked there, I think all I did was move lumber from one side of the site to the other. But, you know, eventually they gave me my, my own set of bags and, and the hammer and, and all that good stuff. Sweet. That's funny. That's kind of, I mean, I flipped the house. When I was in high school, I worked for my dad in the underground utility business. But one summer they bought a house and him and his business partner, we spent all summer fixing it up to flip it. And I had, I mean, I was 16 years old and didn't know nothing. And I learned a lot that summer, but I always had the shit jobs, right? Like, I I spent I think two weeks taping everything so that he could spend half an afternoon painting it, you know, like with the with the sprayer. Like, and I was like, man, you know, I spent so much time taping it all, and then like we ripped all the tape off in like you know fifteen minutes. I'm like, this yeah. sucks. And I, spent, I think like two weeks sanding the kitchen cabinet. Like, you know, I learned real quick some of the we roofed it. I learned real quick there's some things like, man, I don't ever want to do this again, but. Roofing, especially, man, it's brutal. I have, oh yeah, I have nailed on my fair share of uh, shingled roofs, and it it is just tough, tough work. Yeah, it wasn't a big house, but in the in the heat of the uh, Lubbock, Texas summer, yeah. it was awful. I can <laughs> so, imagine. Um, so I figured we'll talk about a few things, but one thing that uh, I really wanted to get into was you kind of mentioned it in your intro: true design build. What does that mean? Um, so I'm going to do my best not to swear too much here because <laughs> I'll try. Um, design build as a term has been around for whatever, two, three decades. Um, but it's bullshit, right? M- most companies use design build as a, as a marketing ploy. They, they put it on their website, they put it on their business cards, but they don't really, they don't really embody what design build construction ever was intended to be. Um, and, and it's, it's more of a, you know, design bid with a little bit of input from the GC and then we build, you know, it's just, it's very kind of watered down. So we kind of coined the term true design build, um, about five or six years ago. And it's just a, it's a totally different method of approaching the, the commercial market where we are the tip of the spear, right? Schaefer construction is the very point at the top. Our clients hire us very, very early. So, we will help them find land. We will help them, um, you know, get everything uh, or get their architecture and, and engineering consultants on board, take everything through municipal entitlements, permitting. Obviously, we then build it for them. Um, but we really act as uh, as a true fiduciary to our clients. And so, um, you know, just it's just a huge difference from the, you know, I got design build on my wall over here. And it, we actually do it. And in my mind, most most firms don't do it or don't even know how to do it, frankly. Yeah, it seems like, uh, again, I think most of the delivery methods, design build, team at risk, we kind of talked about this the other day when we were having a little chat, like most of them are, it's been sort of bastardized by the industry and um, and the owners a lot of times don't really know what they're signing up for, I've seen, when they say, yeah, design build or team at risk and they sign some contract that the contractor gave them and they don't really understand they're not getting they're not getting the benefits of that delivery method. 
Yeah, and it's it's too bad, right? Because if if you as an owner, as a client, you know, if you do a little research into what say design build is, you get this kind of this warm and fuzzy feeling inside of, you know, okay, these guys are going to lead me through it. Well, if you team up with, you know, you, the average firm, it's not really the case, right? And, and and it's any sort of contracting is just about taking risk and shifting it around, right? It's the hide the mm-hmm. hide the peanut game under the walnuts. And in in true design build, I mean, all of that risk is on us, 100%, right? We, we take full financial risk for the entire project, including land acquisition. And, th- and that's where we kind of can, can separate ourselves from the pack because, you know, most of it, the CM at risk or the, you know, design assist um, areas, they, it's, it's just watered down. And the GC as an entity, you know, fights as hard as they can to take on the least amount of risk where we just kind of flip it and we're comfortable in that market. We're comfortable taking the lion's share of risk and, you know, it, there's benefits to us, obviously. Um, but there's also, uh, there's not a lot of firms that can compete on that level. Hey, Matt, um, is there, uh, you know, working in the commercial space, are, are there certain sectors of commercial that, that you work in that, you know, you see a lot, I would say, more acceptance of the way that you guys operate versus traditional, I'll say traditional design builds? And I'm just asking, I work a lot in manufacturing, and so I see a lot of the, you know, the traditional, the way that things are right now. And so, uh, you know, hearing how you guys operate is very intriguing to me. Yeah, and it's a great question. Um, so we, we build everything outside of single family homes at this point. We don't see a lot of design build really in any fashion in the, in the multifamily sector. That's still primarily architect led, um, probably for some good reason, maybe, maybe not great reasons, but, um, but we've seen it and we've done it in, in everything from light industrial, uh, office products. We've, we've actually figured out a way to do it in municipal projects. Um, we built a, a community center for a, a local municipality a, a few years ago in, in a true design build format. And it, you know, the way I see it is, is any product type, as long as you can educate your client on what the hell you're actually going to deliver and how you're going to do it, there's, there's no limit to the product type that you could do a true design build model. Well, absolutely. And I've been on projects where it's been all different shapes and forms of it, honestly, where they like, they start out doing a design build and the whole thing, then they scope it down and say, oh, we'll just do the shell design build and we're going to design bid build the interior. And before you know it, the whole thing's off the rails. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I guess that's, you know, that's the kind of uh, format that gets under my skin. That's why we started yeah. doing what we do because it, it kind of bastardizes the whole allure of a design build project right and if there's nothing wrong with the old i call it old school too that you know design bid build the architect led it's not right wrong or indifferent if if you want to go that route fine but just know that you're going to get what you're going to get um but if you're going to try and and market it as design build and market it as you know we as the builder are going to help you as the client through this process you damn well better do it in, in my mind yeah, well, and that also fits along with the way the industry is going with a lot of integrated projects, too. I mean, it's almost like a hybrid integrated design build, but really it's like you're saying, like, you know, true design build. Is, it's kind of what I always thought it was at the very beginning, and then I got really into the projects, into the details and the contracts, and I'm like, well, this is not quite what I was expecting, but this is what the owner signed up for, so we'll just do the best we can. Um, yeah. Yeah, interesting. 
I imagine you spend a lot of time educating owners of really what design build really means and what you're doing and why it's different. A, a ton. I mean, I would say almost a majority of my time now in my current role is spent doing just that. Yeah. Right. I mean, relationships are what make this industry go around no matter where you're at um, and, or what format you're doing it in. It, it's all relationship based. But for in order for us to be able to sell the the service that we provide, clients have to know what they're actually getting. And so you nailed it, Matt. Like it, it is, it's like I'm a professor some days, right? <laughs> and it, it takes an exorbitant amount of time because especially when you get into sectors where they're not used to it, like municipal mm -hmm. work or public work, they don't, they don't think like this. They think we need low bid, low bid, you know, hard bid type projects. Well, that's, that's not the only way to accomplish that. There are ways to do a, a true design build project in those uh, municipalities with, with strict funding requirements, but it takes an extreme amount of, of teaching, right? <laughs> you gotta, you gotta really lead them and, and show them the way to do it before they can become acceptance of that format. Well, that's really interesting to hear just because like on my end, uh, in the owner's rep realm, uh, in manufacturing, in the industrial manufacturing, um, I have a similar fight, but it's a little different. I, unfortunately, a lot of my clients are used to CMs that are just, you go out there and hand wave in the field and then somehow miraculously get a project done. And so I do a lot of the same thing, Matt, where I'm trying to educate the owners that, hey, as a CM, I can actually help you on some stuff if you'll let me. Uh, there's actually a lot of value we can add on the front end of planning, not just when the shovel hits the ground. It's too late at that point. Like the project's going the direction it's going. It's a, it's a great point, Kyle. I mean, so much of what we do, the bulk of what we do and the, and the magic that we provide is long before a shovel ever hits the ground, right? It, it is all in the pre-con. So I'm a, I'm a pre-con guy by, by nature, by trade. Um, I have the bulk of my professional experience is all on the pre-con side. It, it, so, so much of the project is decided in that, you know, whatever it is, 60, 90, 120 day period before the boots are even put on. I want to play devil's advocate for a second. Cause I love to do that. Yeah. What, what's the, I mean, from your perspective, I mean, is it, what's the benefit of taking on more risk and not playing, just being another one of the other design build guys doing it where they just keep passing the risk back and not want to take on anything else? Um, benefit to me or the benefit to the client? I'll say both. I mean, the benefit to me is it's easy. We can charge bigger fees. We can charge a, a, a larger rate, a higher, you know, higher percentage. And mm -hmm. we damn well better deliver, right, because we have that, that risk on the line. But um, And it allows us to have full control of the project, which is, you know, call it, call it ego, call it whatever you want. You know, my team, that's how we function best is when we are the ones holding the puppet strings for the whole show. Um, and, and we get to make the calls then too, right? Because when, when something comes up on site during construction, which it always does, there's not anybody sitting here kind of pointing both ways saying it's not my fault. It's, he did it. He did it. We now are like, like we're going to step in and solve the problem. Mm -hmm. um, benefit to the client is, is also pretty easy. We, we can do any project in a shorter timeline with less headache and for a lower cost, period. And, and then we guarantee it. And, and it's all built on that pre-con side that, that you mentioned, Kyle. Yeah. I don't have a lot of design build experience. I've done a lot of, you know, you kind of everyone kind of does different stuff, right? And I don't have a lot of design build, but is it, you have a GMP basically set early on in the pre-con and then you kind of go from there? 
So typically we work on a, on a cost plus fee with a, with a GMP contract. Um, the GMP, it doesn't get established necessarily real early. Sometimes it does. I mean, we've gone yeah. to contract before on three drawings, you know, a site plan, a floor plan, an elevation. And, and we, you know, harken back to my pre-con roots, you know, we, we got very good at, at conceptually estimating large scale projects. So while that's not our, our norm anymore, we certainly have done it. Um, but typically speaking, you know, within that 60 to 90 day window of design and entitlements, we'll come back with a, a set GMP, um, you know, phase two of our contract. It'll guarantee the price and guarantee the schedule. I got you. I imagine it's a much better, I mean, you're talking about the benefits of the owner. I imagine it's a much better experience for the owner too, because I don't know how many projects, I mean, we've all been on it where something goes sideways and the architects pointed the contractor, the contractors pointed at the geotech report or geotech guys pointed i mean everyone's just you know playing that game and so having an owner that can just say matt we got a problem and have one guy to call right and you just make it work that's exactly it we, we are the single source point of contact for for everything from day zero till the day we hand them the keys and i mean don't get me wrong it ends up in a lot of headaches and a lot of uh you know late night phone calls that that we probably wouldn't field if we were operating in a different format, but it's, you know, we feel it's worth it. Yeah, I think so. I think it definitely gives the owner a better, a better final. Ex I mean, ultimately you're building, anybody can build a building, right? In theory. So it's really about the experience of how they do it. And, you know, they're going to tell their buddies who are building a building, or they're going to give you a reference based on how the experience went. Not that, yeah, they built me a five-story building because everybody can do that. It, totally. And, and, you know, to be quite honest, most of our, clients are not repeat builders, right? We do a lot of work for, for private entities. So, you know, they might build one building ever, but we can rely on them being our marketing department for us. And we may not build a second building for them, but we're going to build one for their friends and, and their friends and their colleagues. And, and I mean, we put very little into marketing because of that. Right. And so, you know, to, to say everybody can build a building, I, I agree with you hundred percent. It's, it's the manner in which you deliver it. It's the, it's the relationship you build. Uh, and it's the, it, you know, it's, it's just the, the whole process you create for the client that really has the value. What, uh, what, what trades do you guys do internally, Matt, like self-perform versus, versus uh, partner out with for subcontracts? Uh, if there is a standard, I should say. So we do not self-perform any trade work. We are okay. strictly a, a paper GC. We, we set up the deals. Um, we, we contract all the design and, and, and trade work. Um, we provide supervision and management in-house. Um, but outside of that, we, we team up with specialty contractors for everything. That'd be cool. Do you all have on your normal job site? Because I've seen guys that – I've seen a bunch of contractors. Everybody kind of works it just a little bit different. Do, do you all have – I would call it like general carpenters – on your crew just kind of do a little bit of miscellaneous stuff here and there or do you strictly have nothing but management um both so typically speaking we it's strictly management and supervision yeah we are starting to get into some of the more we, we call them general trades up here and on our neck of the woods but same idea um, we're starting to look more into that where you know some of our guys in-house can do certain you know call it minor work Right. Um, and it, it just, it really depends on the project. It's almost like the ancillary work, right? They're actually building the building, but you almost need somebody to 
I don't know, put up a handrail or to, you know, do miscellaneous oddball stuff. Yeah, you know, putting putting door hardware on, you know, putting backing on, mountain TVs, things like that. We can we're starting to kind of self perform, if you will, a little bit, but still by and large for the most part we we sub it all out. I gotcha. A lot of that's, you know, we we take on this lion's share of risk for the project. So we've already got this massive load on our shoulders. Um, to start self-performing any real trade work, and I mean that, you know, respectfully outside of the general stuff, um, it just, it blows our insurance through the roof. And we're right now, anyways, we're just not cut out for it. I mean, I, I would love no nothing more than to have a full team, right? Have have my carpenters, have my steel guys and my, my MEPs all in-house all the time. But we are, we're nowhere near that level where we can keep that sort of crew busy day in, day out yet. Oh, I mean, there's not a contractor in America that has everything in house, is there? <laughs> not, not many. I think a few of the big guys might might try at least, but you know, it, it's just the nature of the beat. It's 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 so cyclical, right? There's just yeah. something's always phased. You have to diversify yourself a little bit. You can't put all your eggs <laughs> yeah. in the same basket. So. Well, and kind of where where I think Matt's going, there's a lot too. Is it's hard to have that staff and be able to keep them on hat on you know on staff full time and busy and not sitting on the bench running up your, your overhead. Uh, because I, I can only imagine, I mean, even the clients that I see, even the same client owner, if you will, from project manager to project manager, what they want is totally different. What they're comfortable doing is totally different. So it's hard to predict that stuff and staff up for it. Absolutely. We we select our teams per, per job. I mean, we work with yeah. a core group of guys, of, of specialty contractors, but... You know, out of that group, we might have two or three carpenters that we, we know, like, and trust a lot. And, you know, carpenter A might be a great fit for this project, but they're not going to work for this next one because of, you know, some relationship quirk or something weird about the, the scope, you know. So to, to your point, yeah, to, to keep everybody perfect, right, it's just it's hard, if not impossible. Yeah. I want to switch gears for just a second. Um, so... I've started following, you know, your podcast, the Construction Corner podcast, and I listened to an episode the other day where I don't remember the whole story, but essentially you were sitting in a meeting, I think it was a city planners meeting or something like that, and somebody said, like, hey, at the end of the meeting, like, hey, I, I listen to your podcast, I like your content, and you basically said your heart sunk because you didn't know what their impression was. Um, I just want to kind of want to share, like, man, I've had the same feeling where people say, hey, I follow you, because, like, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, and I shared a lot of my thoughts, and I try not to get too controversial, but I like to be authentic, and sometimes I don't agree with everybody, right? And I've had people the same thing, say, hey, I, I follow you on LinkedIn, and I'm like, give me a little bit more context, because I don't know if that's good or bad. <laughs> um, have you had, I, I mean, you put up, you've probably been, you've been doing this a lot longer than we have, obviously. Um, this is going to be episode eight or nine or something like that, and uh, I've been doing a newsletter for about nine months, so I don't have nearly the breadth of content out in the world like you do, but... Um, I've seen way more positives than negatives, and I'm assuming you're probably the same. Absolutely. There, there is way more positive to getting out there, and it's, it's almost like you're pre-building relationships, right? You're, you're showing people, as long as you're authentic, right? And we talked about this the other day. As long as you're not, mm -hmm. you know, BSing everybody, you're, you're kind of introducing people to yourself and your way of doing business and your personality way ahead of time. And, you know, whether or not, social media or podcasts will ever lead to directly to any of us getting a project. 
I couldn't really tell you, but I can tell you that you go have a meeting with a new person. Um, and the first thing they're going to do either, either when you book the meeting or as soon as you walk out of their office is they're going to look you up. And as long as there's content there for them to find, you know, that's usually a good thing, uh, to your, to the beginning of your comment. Yeah, we, <laughs> there are definitely those times when and it, and it's happening more and more now, you know, it, it seems like a lot of our stuff is getting some traction. We've been grinding it out for, you know, a few years now when somebody brings that up in certain settings, it's like, Oh hell, what, what actually, what did you read? You know, what, what episode did you listen to? Because <laughs> I am a construction guy at heart, right? There's a, there's a lot of times when I get on our show with Dylan and I, we get pretty fiery, you know, and I let my inner pirate come out. Um, sometimes, you know, right, wrong or, or indifferent. And, you know, we, we talked about it in the episode, like as long as you're being real and, and you're not, you know, trying to play a character, then, at the end of the day, who really cares, right? If if you don't like me on my content, as long as I'm being authentic, you're not going to like me in person. So if that's your deciding factor, then then great. We just saved ourselves a lot of headache. You know, go find somebody else, and I wish you the best. That's kind of this podcast. I'm going to kind of morph that a little bit. So this podcast is really kind of aimed towards we call it the next generation of construction. Right. Okay. We're really trying to help, you know, people kind of get onto their feet. They're coming into the trades. They're coming into really construction management really is kind of what we're targeting towards. Um, there's a lot of people, I mean, from all our, our people who've been listening to it's from really from all uh, levels of experience. But, you know, that's something, you know, a president of a company can say, oh, yeah, you know, I can speak freely because you're not reporting to anybody. Right. Do you have any advice to kind of the people who may. Uh, that's kind of my favorite question to ask when we start talking about personal branding because there's a lot of people and I've even had people reach out to me on LinkedIn like, hey man, I really want to start a newsletter like you're doing, or I've I've got a lot of things I want to say like on social media, but I'm scared because I don't know what my company's gonna think or I don't know what they're gonna think or they don't want to ruffle up feathers, you know. Um, I mean, you have any advice for those guys? Yeah, I mean, twofold. A, I didn't have the presence or put out the content that I do now when I work for somebody else. And it's not because I couldn't, um, A, it was a long time ago, um, but B, there was part of that fear, right? Like, well, mm -hmm. what if what if my boss sees this and it, you know, ruffles the feathers? But I guess my, what I would say, you know, to the, the young bloods coming up, don't be stupid, right? Just don't, <laughs> be authentic, right? And, but But don't say anything stupid that you wouldn't say to somebody's face. Right. And if you want to be controversial, there's there's guidelines, right? There's there's bookends to what is acceptable in any circumstance. It doesn't matter if you're talking about construction or any of the hot topics of the day. Right. But if you wouldn't say it to my face or to my, our client's face, sitting face to face across a real table in a real meeting, you know, not a Zoom call, not, none of this stuff. If you wouldn't say it right to their face. Don't put it out on social media. Now, if you're the type of person, though, that that would say it. <laughs> Hey, have at it. But but keep in mind there's that caveat. If you do something stupid and you tie my company's name to your burning ship, there's going to be probably a, a different discussion we're going to have. Well, Matt, I, I like what you said a lot about the uh, the authenticity part, being authentic, because especially, I mean, as we all know, working in a professional industry, one of the worst things you could do is sell yourself to get the job and the client gets it and the experience is nothing like they expected. That's the surest, fastest way to piss them off and make sure you don't get another job from them. 
So that's, I mean, your message is awesome there. I mean, be authentic in your message you're putting out across any platform you do. Realize that anybody can see it, any potential future customer of yours and ask you about it. And, you know, it doesn't need to be, be a big deal as long as you're authentic and honest about it. That's my take. A hundred percent, man. I mean, and Matt touched on it earlier. It's, it's the experience is what we provide as a service, right? It's what we actually sell because it doesn't matter if you're on the GC side or the owner's rep or, you know, if you're like Dylan, my co-host, and you're on the design side, we don't set the pricing, right? We, we're not we're not setting what a building costs to build, right? The market does that. And our fees, you know, they fluctuate a couple points from the next guy, but they're all in generally in line. So at the end of the day, we're not really selling a product. We're selling the experience. And if, if I tell you that this experience is going to be great because I'm this, you know, mousy pushover of a guy online and you know i i only talk about fluffy happy stuff and then we get going and you you meet me and and it's completely flipped and you realize holy holy cow this guy's you know he, he's got a mouth that makes my you know my drunken grandfather blush and he's and he's opinionated well now you've got this this clash and it's just you can't do that to people right it's it's you're hoodwinking them to you you know harken back to the old term you're, you're absolutely hoodwinking somebody and if you want to sell a, an actual proper experience, then you got to be actually properly authentic. Yeah, well, and, and this comes back to Matt Gray, something we've talked about, I think, in our previous podcast, too, or at least I know you and I have, is about you don't really know how someone's, what their true character is until you get into the heat of the project. When you're in that really stressful time and people mm -hmm. want to start pointing fingers, that's when you find out who somebody really is. And so just to your point about being authentic and, you know, pr providing that experience, if you know up front, then it, things are more likely to go way smoother than if all of a sudden you switch personalities when the project gets hard. That's where I've seen people get the most pissed off and where things go off the rails the most. Totally. It, um, Mike Tyson said it best, right? Everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. <laughs> if, if you can show people what you're going to act like be when you get punched in the face before it happens everybody wins you know it, it you know it goes to like a a bigger conversation right life is too damn short why 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 would i want to waste time why would anyone want to waste time pretending to be someone they're not there's enough there's enough work out there right whether you are in construction or you sell groceries man there, there's enough out there that if you if you have some drive and some commitment you can go make a living doing a lot of different things so go find something you can make a living at being yourself and we'd all be a lot better off, I think, if, if more people just did that. That's right. Oh, Gary Vaynerchuk a lot. And uh, I don't know if you guys do or not, but a lot of what he talks about, he's like, you know, you may be making $150,000 being a CPA, right? But you're miserable. But you'd rather, like, create a YouTube channel talking about Legos or name it, right? And maybe you make, get that thing built up and make $50,000 or $60,000 talking about Legos and, like, your pay obviously is way down, but like you were happy as shit because you're doing what you love to do. And he has a lot of that, you know, like success is different for everybody. It doesn't always mean, you know, your paycheck at the end of the week. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's good for people to hear that sort of message from guys like, like you two and me, right. Listening yeah. to Gary V or Andy Patel or Ed Milet, like they have great messages. Don't get me mm -hmm. wrong. I follow a lot of those guys, but listening to a dude that's worth $800 million tell you that it's not, it's not all about making the money. Well, you know, it's hard to get on board with, but listening to a regular guy saying what you just said, right. You can, you can make decent money 
and still be happy and still have a good time doing what you're doing. To me, that that's a the, the message resonates more. I think it's going to help solve maybe the construction labor crisis, if you want to call it that, or whatever, when people are realizing, you know, I think there's a lot of people doing jobs, you know, office jobs that they hate, and they realize, like, man, I can go out and do, actually do something and build something that fulfills me. And there's a, I've seen a number of people actually, because I mean, the more I get involved in LinkedIn, the more I just connect and I start seeing the, I guess, the cross section of the market, I guess you will. And there's a lot of entry level people that are obviously 23 years old and fresh out of college and, you know, whatever, but there's a lot of like entry level people who are doing a second career. Like they were a finance person for 20 years and they were, I just hated every day of their life. And they like, I want to get in and I always like construction. I like building stuff. I like building Legos and just kind of started. And now they're in, they kind of restarted um, their whole life and whole career because of they're, now they're doing something they enjoy doing. It's kind of cool to see. It's very cool to see. And, you know, we, we do a lot at, at my company and with our podcast and trying to get youth more interested in the trades again, you know, making the trades cool again. Mm-hmm. But the reality is what you just said. It doesn't have to be the youth. Yes, we need them. We need to be able to build up our farm clubs. And that's a that's a topic for like a, a 10 shows in, by themselves. But we also need people to recognize that, right? If you If you make it down that rabbit hole of being an accountant or a lawyer or a surgeon, I don't care what it is, and you decide you don't like it, you're never too late or too old to, to flip the script on yourself and try something new. And, you know, construction is an industry that, I mean, you guys know it, there, there's endless opportunities, right? There's everything from, from sales and marketing to social media to, to the guy digging the ditches, you know, everything in between. So there's, there's a, a tremendous litany of opportunity out there for people to, to make a new start. We as an industry just got to do better at, at throwing that out there, right? Because people still look at con- in construction or look at construction as, as second best, second chance, right? Or, or, you know, first loser type mentality. And it's just not the case. Yeah, you're right. I mean, for a long time it was, it was like, if you, you can't get into college, you either do construction or go to the military. <laughs> like that was your, your failed plan B and plan C. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's absurd, right? I mean, when I was in high school, which, I guarantee it was a long time before you guys, but, you know, we had Voc Tech. That was our, our trade school option. And, and Voc Tech back then was for the burnouts. It was for the, the guys and, and girls who were failing out of high school and couldn't do anything else. You know, now, I mean, my, I think I mentioned the other day when we were talking, Matt, my, my oldest is going to be 16 next week. You know, he's got trade school, legitimate trade school opportunities coming into his high school. So if he wants to, he can, he can go and get, uh, two-year education as a carpenter while he's still doing his normal high school coursework and, and graduate with a job, you know, coming out of high school, making four times, five times what his buddies are going to be making, doing anything they're doing. And there's just, there's a lot more opportunity now. So uh, that's awesome. It, it also helps with that, you know, uh, having that skill, I don't want to say as a backup plan, but, you know, it's also something else you can fall back on or, or another route you can go to for a while if you're figuring stuff out, keep money coming in the door. But, you know, myself, I was an electrician and I went to school for engineering and then I was like, you know, I like construction more. So, and I haven't looked back, man. It's been great. That's perfect, man. Case yeah. in point. Great example right there. Yeah. I was also on UMAP the other day. I uh, I went into college as a civil engineer, and I realized halfway through engineering school that, like, I don't want to be an engineer. I don't want to be cranking out numbers all day long. I was, you know, I, I, 
I probably didn't listen when they were explaining to me what someone hearing was, <laughs> but because uh, I was 18 years old and I did what most 18 year olds do. And uh, anyway, I was looking to transfer, but then I realized I could stay in civil engineering and, and specialize in construction management. And I did that. But then even then, like when you graduate, you don't know anything. I uh, I graduated and like, I remember my first job, they're like, all right, I need you to put together this uh, submittal. And I was like, I don't even know what that, what'd you say? A, a submittal? I don't even know what that means. And they're like, okay, well, can you write us an RFI? I'm like, I don't, I don't, you're just speaking French, man. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, it's such an interesting, that's one, I mean, that's a, one of the reasons we kind of started this podcast is, and now we probably should actually get into a little bit more of <laughs> teaching what those things mean. That was kind of our idea behind it all was they really kind of be a resource for that next generation coming up that, you know, even if they went to college, right? I mean, you graduate college and I, I didn't go the construction management path, so they may have learned a little bit more than we did. Um, I, you know, civil engineering, we got a real wide range of a little bit, one geotech, one structures, one this, one scheduling. But I mean, I did one scheduling class. You don't know how to build a schedule in one scheduling class. You know, I spent half the time trying to figure out how to turn on P6 or P whatever it was at that time. Um, and even then you couldn't figure out how to do that. So, um, yeah, just even, I don't know why I went on this little rant, but even when you go to formal college, you get out, you still don't know anything. You're still having to go back almost into vocational school of sorts to just learn how to be a construction manager. You have yeah. to, right? I mean, it's it's on-the-job training at its finest, yeah. right? You, you can't build a schedule, to your point, having never worked in the field or, or never at least seen how a schedule interacts on a real project. You know, it's, it's like looking at a architectural drawing all day long, and trying to translate in that into an actual building, right? Until you actually see the building come up mm -hmm. out of the drawing, you have no way. I mean, none of us are, are mind readers. None of us are, are that, you know, we don't have superpowers. Like, you got you to gotta actually see it and feel it to some degree. Man, even then, I mean, BIM is so far along now versus two-dimensional architectural plans, right? But even then, if you're looking at a BIM model, that, I mean, it gives you a lot more details, but until, you, until you've seen it get built, it's just duct floating in, this, in outer space, right? It's just in just stuff in the air and so you kind of see how it actually all goes together um you got to have that on to go on the job training yeah i mean definitely and the, you know the bim it's great but it's also scary if you if you look at the people technically or, or typically doing the bim models right if that person came out of the field or came from some version of construction where they actually had to know what was going on fine but if that person is fresh out of college with a, you know, a drafting degree or something, and, and they just are really good at technology. Yeah, they can make a pretty picture and they can make sure that the duck chases don't hit the, you know, the plumbing runs or whatever it may be. But once you get in the field, then, you know, somebody's got to have that stuff figured out in real world. Mm -hmm. The best I've seen is I worked for a plumbing and mechanical contractor in a previous life, but uh, they were real far evolved in the BIM world. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, they, they did it earlier before really the industry even really woke up to what it was. But the best that they did is they would get the guys out of the field that were 50 years old, 55 years old, they don't want to be climbing ladders anymore, bring them into the office. But that guy didn't even know how to turn on a computer, but he knew how to build, he knew how to install duct, right? He knew all, you know, all this stuff. And they'd basically partner him with a 24 year old kid who understood the technology, but he didn't know how to, didn't know how the real world worked and kind of set them next to each other. And they kind of, you know, would feed off of each other. And it was a really good, um, it's a really good model they had. That's a perfect way to do it. I've got 
um, a good buddy over on the west side of Michigan that is is hot, really involved in BIM, and we've had very similar conversations to what you just said, right? That's the perfect way to do it because not everybody wants to be in the field, right? I mean, just because I'm partial to it, that's how I started. I came up, you know, with, with broken knuckles and, and bruised fingers, but but not everybody wants that, and they, they never will. So there is a way to transfer that knowledge, right, from the from the old timers to the young guys, at least mm-hmm. at least some of it. You know, the the average age of a construction worker, if you depending on who you listen to, is somewhere to you know mid forties to mid fifties. So if those people are starting to retire without having a young buck to pass that knowledge to, that's just lost opportunity. It's it's time cost of money. It, it's there's just a bad scene all around. So if you can marry those two together, you know, professionally, there's nothing bad that can come of it. Almost a little bit of teaser for our next episode. We're next week. We're interviewing Corey Fisk. She's uh, I forget her her construction management online. I think is the name of her company, but she's got a big push where she's really trying to get those 50 year old guys or 60 year old guys that are looking at retirement, but they've got 30, 40 years of experience, right? And trying to show them like a second career or like a re- career in retirement to basically become a mentor type person and um kind of help <laughs> it's kind of twofold right you're helping that that generation of people uh, but two you're helping the next generation too by trying to like all right if i can show you how to be a mentor and now you can come on and you can help out the 20 year olds and the 30 year olds and these these construction companies that are about to lose a whole lot of experience and knowledge it's a it's a really i'm excited for that conversation actually but it's kind of a cool thing she's doing i'm excited to listen to it because that sounds awesome right i mean so many of us, especially with if you got an entrepreneurial fire in you, right? <clears throat> the the idea of actually retirement, like retiring in the old sense of the term, where like I'm gonna, I'm just gonna sit down in my easy chair and watch golf, you know, until Fish I'm every day. <laughs> alive. Like that sounds miserable to me. I'd go insane. So, but to have an an option like that, where yeah, you know, I don't want to go and grind my myself every single day like I'm doing now or like I did in my twenties. But to have an option to to go and and you know spread the knowledge, keep the industry growing, that's that's huge, man. That's a great opportunity for somebody. Well, and hopefully that's kind of one of the main things that we're doing here is uh, you know kind of getting that ball rolling, getting the getting the next generations thinking about uh, you know when they get get into the, into our shoes, what are they going to do? How are they going to help? Because I mean, to me, that's going to help our our shortage. Uh, maybe not now or tomorrow Did or lose a few weeks, but in the next next few years. Julie, the Matt, if you hear me? I, I can hear you. Yeah, I've had, I've, you've been cutting out a little bit on me, but we're going to have to get with our technical people, which is, I think, Kyle, and make him fix it. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> hey, so one thing, when we first kind of started talking about you joining us, Matt, uh, one of the topics you threw out, the things you, you would feel comfortable talking about was team building. Um, how do you guys go about, because I'm always really interested in team building, um, especially in, and I say that in, in kind of two parts, because in the construction industry, you can be real siloed. And what I mean by that, too, is like you've got, you know, say Schaefer Construction, but you've got however many projects, and you've got a project team over there, and you got a project team over there, and there's a, a team there with, it depends on the size, right? It could be two to ten people, depending on you know, the, the size of the project. But then, so how do you do, how do you guys do team building on a, on a project level plus bringing all those teams together to team build on a kind of a company level? 
it's hard. <laughs> it's very hard. That's why I, mean, I like it, to ask people how they do it. <laughs> it's, it's really, really hard, man. I mean, that's the hardest part of what I do is, is the, the people side of it. And, yeah. you know, we're, we're real big on our core values and we're real big on our culture and, you know, we're not perfect at it. I'm not even close to perfect at it, but you know, we, we hire based on our core values primarily. I mean, the way I see it is you can teach most anything we do in our industry to, to anyone with a will to learn it. You can't teach values and you can't teach culture. So as long as the people we're bringing in, you know, mesh with our core values and, and, and fit with our culture, then we can teach them what they need, but that helps with that team building. Right. And then, you know, the team building starts in, in our house and, and then it, it, goes out to those different silos of projects and, and keep in mind, I mean, we're a, we're a small, pretty lean overhead wise company. Um, there's not a whole lot of us we're growing, but for me, it's not that difficult theoretically to, to keep everyone within that same culture and keep that, that mentality kind of is the, the beating drum that they all hear. Now, as we continue to grow or, you know, once we get to certain levels where we've got, you know, 10, 15 of those silos going on at once, it's going to be hard, man. I, I don't really know the answer to it, right? Because it's, you said it, right? You're physically separated now. And mm -hmm. we have that issue with our field guys now, right? Our, our field guys, our superintendents tend to get kind of that lost on an island syndrome, right? Because they may not see the rest of the office side of us for weeks, if not, you know, a couple months. You know, they'll see a project manager back and forth. But, you know, those guys may not come into the office in a regular situation. So, we really try it at least monthly to bring everybody in house. Everybody comes into the office um, and we just, we call it an all staff meeting. We talk about whatever the hell's going on, but really it's more so just to have some camaraderie, right? Get some conversation going between, you know, my estimator who may never make it to the field, right? Whether or not he should um, have him chatting with our assistant superintendent, right? And, and it, it kind of that all around the table, you know, it, but again, you know, like you mentioned, one, once you hit a certain level of, of just head count, it gets infinitely harder to do that. It, yes. And I've seen that. I've seen that with a few different companies that I've been with. As they've grown, it's become increasingly harder and harder. Um, but I, it's like you just said, though, it's huge. You can get that assistant superintendent talking to the estimator, and nothing may happen that day other than now they know each other on a first-name basis. And if that assistant superintendent's in the field looking at something and he said, hey, I knew that guy, He's a he knew something about plumbing. Let me give him a call real quick and just pick his brain on something. At least you've made just a little bit of an introduction, a little bit of a building that camaraderie where now you don't have to be the middle guy saying, hey, y'all go talk. You know, you can kind of start building those relationships. And even if, you know, it doesn't happen after one meeting, it doesn't happen after two meetings, you know, it takes time, but you just start enough times of interacting, people start getting more comfortable and then all those things can start flourishing on their own. Without a doubt, man, it, it's relationship building, right? It's everything we do. It, it, we talked earlier yeah. about it's building relationships with our clients and, and our vendors and our subcontractors. It, it starts at home. It's, and I keep saying at home, I, I say that in the office, like it starts in our core, right? At our core company. Um, and everybody's got different skills and talents, right? And you just got to be able to, to, push out those conversations that kind of expose them, right? Our, our pre-construction manager right now has a great background in the ceramic and, and hard tile industry. So we will have those conversations or my, you know, my superintendents, if they run into something with our flooring crews out there, they can call our pre-con manager and say, Hey, you know, 
I'm not a flooring guy, so don't quote me. But like, what are we supposed to do with this situation? This this floor leveler isn't doing it. What should we, they be using? And they bounce things back and forth. So it, it's a it's a cool scenario, but you have to. It takes work. It doesn't just happen, you know, like you said, in, in one meeting or you know because you yeah. did some kumbaya, you know, sit around the campfire type thing. There's got to be a organic relationship that that is fostered to even get to that level. 100. Because I mean, we're a company uh, I work for. We're, I mean, not big or big enough where I, I know most people by first name, but there's only a few people where I would feel comfortable enough knowing them per, on a personal level. It's even really maybe even know what their expert is or expertise is, right? Like I may talk with somebody all the time, but again, if I don't know he's the flooring expert, I'm not going to know to call him. So that, that sort of stuff takes a long time, a lot of relationship building. It's, it takes, a, it's got to be very, very intentional what I've seen. Yeah. You have to be intentional about what you want. Right. What are you, what are you looking to get out of this relationship? Are, are you looking to, you know, there's a million different things, but you, you gotta be intentional on it. You gotta be intentional on everything you do. And as a leader of the company, it's my job to make sure that I'm at least putting my people in, in spaces and in situations where that intentionality and that, that relationship building can actually occur. Sometimes easier said than done. A minute ago, you said you guys hire on core values. I hear a lot of people say that, obviously, almost to the point where it's become a buzzword or it's kind of became a, yeah, I guess it's called buzzword or whatever. But I guess it's, speaking of easier said than done, <laughs> have you guys found a way to really figure out what people's core values are consistently? It, it is a buzzword. It's bullshit. Not <laughs> not with us, but with most, right? Most most firms, firms that I've worked for in the past, it's it's complete garbage. It's it's a poster on the wall in the in the conference room that when they bring clients in, they can say, "Look at our core values. We're great people. This is this is all us." And then the people leave, and it's it's garbage. Um, you have to really believe in it, right? It, it's culture at its finest. It's core values, and so you know, I we we hire very slowly on purpose. You know, we we meet, we do. We don't have a, We don't have an exhaustive interview process, but the last thing I want to do is bring someone who doesn't bring someone onto the team who's not going to be a fit, right? Getting rid of people is not a fun situation ever. So we make damn sure that we we kind of dig into people into their psyche a little bit. Um, we ask a lot of different questions, right? I don't I don't care about the questions like, tell me about a time when you succeeded. Tell me about a time when you know you had a conflict. I'm going to ask questions that, that we design, we engineer to focus around our own core values, right? We have a, a list of five values that, that we live by at the company. And through having those kind of directed conversations, I'm going to weed out of you if you're a competitive person, right? Or if you're a, a problem solver or if you're, you know, humble and confident, all these things. The rest of those kind of canned interview questions, whatever, they don't mean anything to me. So... And do we get it wrong sometimes? Absolutely, right? It's, you know, it's guessing somebody's DNA at a certain point, right? It's it's fraught with problems, but it's just the way we've done it. Um, I mean, I'd like to say we're pretty good at it. We don't have a lot of turnover, so, you know, something's working. Did I lose you again? I lost you there at the end, but back now. So have you kind of kind of going full circle in this conversation, you know, kind of started talking earlier about, you know, putting out content, especially the young, the next generation kind of putting out content, that sort of stuff and being authentic and true. Have you 
have you hired people or at least got them in the door to interview based on what you're seeing on social media or their content or anything like that they put out? Because I imagine if they're if they're putting out content that basically nails your core values, um, and if they appear to be authentic, because I can go I can go Google your website right now and put out a whole bunch of content that says I'm I'm your core value guy. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have you have y'all made any hires? Almost, I don't want to say strictly on that, but with that getting the ball rolling? No. The, the honest answer is no, not yet. Um, it, frankly, we still have a struggle with trying to get our people to be active on social media. And we kind of touched on that in the very beginning. You know, where's that, where's that boundary you draw, you know, on, on being authentic and being, you know, controversial? Well, there's also the other side of that boundary, like being silent on social media isn't necessarily what we want either. Um, but that's, that is candidly one of the things we struggle with. So I'm waiting. I'll be jumping for joy the day that somebody comes to me that I've seen already, that I already, you know, quote, unquote, know them from LinkedIn or something. When they come in and want to interview for a position, it'll be awesome because I'll dig into it then. But, I mean, our, our people are great, right? But they just, they're not really heavy onto media quite yet. And they may never be. It's kind of funny. Uh, something I was thinking about earlier since we, start, we first started talking about that. Like when I first started, I didn't really know what my company was going to think about it when I first started being more active. And I actually had a buddy, a college buddy, uh, reach out to me on LinkedIn. Like, hey, you looking for a job? And I was like, no, why? He's like, well, you're, you're posting a lot more on LinkedIn now. And then I was like, oh, no. And I kind of explained to him what I was doing with the newsletter. And I was trying to kind of start create a newsletter and how to market it. So I started using LinkedIn a lot more doing that. And then just kind of the, wheel, the snowball started rolling with it. Um, but I didn't really tell anybody why I was doing or what I was doing. And um, the president of our company reached out to me and he was out to ask me questions. And he basically, he support, he supported me from day one, which has been awesome. Um, but he basically said, you know, just don't throw our clients under the bus. Don't throw the contractors under the bus. And like, basically what you said, don't be stupid. And, uh, and I try to, it, you know, sometimes you almost have to throw somebody under the bus to teach a lesson, but I really try to do it in a way where, if I tell a story, you don't know if it happened five minutes ago or five years ago, right? It's like, that's not, the, that's not the important part of what we're talking about. Like the important part is the lesson of what happened. Like, I don't need to say like, Kyle Grandell screwed me yesterday and now I'm pissed and this is what happened, right? <laughs> like, so it's just, uh, I don't know, but I guess just don't be stupid with it. And like, you can, it goes a long ways for you. Yeah, man. I mean, We've tried. I've tried in the past even to get some of our our specialty contractors to come on to our podcast. You know, just hey, let's let let us interview. Let us ask you a few questions. And and even them, like they know me really well. I'm I'm personal friends with a lot of our guys. Um, they see all my stuff. You know, they all will will like and share and comment and all that crap online. But the idea of, you know, getting on a mic and having a camera in your face and, and doing this in front of the, the world, they won't do it. I've had one one of our team members, uh, one of our steel guys came on. It wasn't even on my show. It was on a, a friend of mine's show, on, on Scott Peeper's show. I think you might have coming up here. But mm -hmm. um, we we did a, a webinar type thing together on that. But And that was cool, man. He loved it. He had a great time. And But other than that, it, it's a struggle, you know, because it, it's – it's the construction industry, right? We kind of talked about this last week or whenever that was, but we're very slow to adopt anything new and different in this industry. And that's a, frankly, that's a problem, but 
um, you know, by doing this, by doing what you're doing, it, it helps to change those things. It's, it's helping do that, but it's also an opportunity for those people who do want to embrace that. I feel like, because it's not a saturated market just yet, right? Like every gym owner has a podcast. So if you're a gym owner, you're trying to start a podcast or you're going to try to start posting on Instagram, like it's, it's such a saturated market. Um, but the construction industry is still a, it's a wild, wild west still. <laughs> and there's a land grab. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's not a ton of shows out there. I mean, there's some, you know, that I follow and that, I, that I've seen, but there's not a lot yet. So, yeah. you know, there's no time like the present, right? Right, right, right. We're getting near the end of the time here. Was there anything you wanted to talk about that we uh, overlooked? No, man, I, I think we touched on a, on a lot of good stuff here. It was, it was a fun conversation. I just, I really appreciate you guys having me on. Appreciate you joining us, Matt. If people want to get in touch with you, how can they find you? Um, so I'm most active on LinkedIn, uh, okay. Matt Vetter at, at LinkedIn. Um, the company is Schaefer Construction. The podcast is the Construction Corner podcast. Um, but you, you can find me anywhere, any of the media channels. I'll make sure I'll link all your stuff in the show notes so people can find you easy. I appreciate that, man. Anything, Kyle? No, no, it was great. It was awesome to meet you, Matt. And you shared a lot of good wisdom lost here. So. Man, I, this Riverside is killing me. Um, <laughs> everybody keeps cutting out. So, Well, we'll call it there. I appreciate you guys. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Kyle. Yeah, thanks, thanks guys. guys.